0: you for this night, this night when we can celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, and because of that event 2,000 years ago, everything is different. Everything is different in life, and everything is different in death. And as we look again this evening, perhaps at very familiar words, perhaps at events that we're looking at maybe for the first time. Would you speak to us so that the reality of the resurrection might be our experience this evening? Send that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, who breathed life into his dead corpse, and breathe your life into our lives tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to look at this evening is just that one phrase that Jesus uttered at the end of his life. It's a simple phrase, it is finished. It is finished. I want to let you in on a secret as to one of my favorite films. One of the films in my top five is Saving Private Ryan. Uh, It came out about 20 years ago, and uh, if you haven't seen it, it's a film um, on World War II and the Normandy landings in 1944. And uh, I happened to be in America at a conference in Chicago, and uh, the person I was with said, why don't we go and see this new film called Saving Private Ryan? And I said, okay, we'll go and see it. So we had sat for seven hours in a leadership conference... And then we went to see Saving Private Ryan, a comedy it is not. The first 20-25 minutes where they reenact the Normandy landings is recognised by Normandy veterans who were actually there in 1944 as the most realistic representation of what actually happened. Tom Hanks, who plays the lead character in Saving Private Ryan, says that when they were on the set, he remembers part of the crew coming to him on the morning when they were going to film this particular opening sequence. And this particular member of the film crew just said, you won't believe what we've got for you down there. And they went through the morning and filmed the entire sequence in one. And he says that when they got back to their caravans, the cast themselves were shaking because it had been so visceral, so real, so realistic, so close to perhaps what the real thing was actually like. If you don't know the story, the story is of a soldier, James Ryan, who is discovered to have lost all three of his brothers elsewhere in the Second World War. And Tom Hanks plays a captain who is told to make a, take a small group of soldiers and find Ryan wherever he is. It's actually based on a true story. Story. There was a real James Ryan. Oh, actually, his name was Fritz Neeland. And rather than Tom Hanks being sent to find France Fritz Neeland, it was actually the regimental chaplain who was sent. But obviously, a clergy person wasn't deemed to be hunky enough uh, to send on that sort of mission. So they changed it and made it a captain played by Tom Hanks. Now the film reaches a climax, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, it's been out for 21 years, get a life, Um, but right towards the end of the film, um, Hanks' character dies and there's this moment in the film where Hanks looks at Ryan and he says these words, earn this James, earn it, and then he dies. It's incredibly powerful and quite poignant. And then immediately the scene switches from Ryan in 1944 looking at Tom Hanks to then 50 years later with the same eyes with Ryan now looking at the grave of Tom Hanks' character. He's with his family, they've come with him to Normandy, and they're seeing where Hanks' character is buried. And Ryan says this to Hanks's grave. Every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I've tried to live my life the best that I could. I hope that was good enough. I hope that at least in your eyes I've earned what you all have done for me. And then, weeping, turning to his wife, weeping heavily, he looks at his wife and says, Tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. And what it becomes obvious is that living with this challenge to earn the sacrifice that was paid by Hanks' character and others in the film has actually left Ryan with crushing guilt for 50 years. For 50 years, every single day, he has tried to earn approval, acceptance, achievement, recognition, that somehow all of the sacrifices of the lives that were laid down on his behalf was somehow worth it. Tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. Earn it, James. Earn it. On Easter Day, we remember again that at the heart of the Christian faith is the truth that we do not have to earn God's love, that we do not have to earn God's forgiveness, that we're incapable of earning God's acceptance, that in the person of Jesus Christ there is nothing that we can do, say, think that will make God love us more than He did in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. God demonstrated His own love for us, that while we were still sinners, far away from Him. Christ was willing to die. And that phrase that Jesus uses as He gives up His Spirit, it is finished, is the best indication that we do not and cannot earn God's approval. In Greek, the word is tetelestai, and literally it means it's completed or it's accomplished. Different people have wondered whether it was a sort of cry of defeat or a cry of resignation, a cry perhaps of exhaustion after six hours on the cross. But actually it's the opposite. It's a cry of victory. It's a cry of triumph. It's the word that Uh, an artist might use. We we had an exhibition this week in the main space and uh, some artists at different points during the week uh, and some people who think of themselves uh, as artists drew uh, pictures of the cross and there were some incredibly moving uh, drawings that were done. But this word, it is finished, is the word that an artist would have used in the ancient world when they finish off the drawing when they step back from their picture and go, yeah, that's it. Or it's the phrase or the word that might be used by a builder who places the final brick. Or maybe the footballer Lionel Messi as he puts another goal in against Manchester United and turns away and goes, yeah, that'll do. The phrase that Scots might use is, that's me, that's me. That's the phrase that Jesus is using. It's finished, it's paid, that'll do, that's me, it's done. It was also the word used on parchment in the ancient world to acknowledge receipt of payment on a bill rather than getting a text from iTunes or Apple telling you that you have paid. In those days, they would write the word tetelestai on a parchment. It meant the bill was settled. It meant the bill was paid. It meant it was done. It was over. It was complete. The events of the previous few hours had unfolded as no one but Jesus had anticipated. The arrest of Jesus the mock trial, the flogging, the mock coronation, then the crucifixion itself, a very common form of execution in the Roman Empire, the means of punishment reserved for what were known as the humiliores, the lower classes. It was the penalty for desertion from the Roman army or for playing fast and loose with the vestal virgins in the temple or for slaves who tried to run away. The historian Cicero called it the servile supplicum, a penalty for slaves, and thousands upon thousands died by crucifixion in the Roman Empire. The Jewish historian Josephus called it the most wretched of deaths. Varus, a Roman general, had 2,000 Jews crucified along the road from Sepphoris to Galilee in 4 BC as a penalty for rebellion. So you see, Jesus had grown up literally in the shadow of the cross. Those 2,000 who had been crucified along the road, three, four years later, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the word would still be around. The images would still be fresh in people's minds. Remember those 2,000 crucifixions. Remember what happened on the road from Sepphoris to Galilee. And the Romans used crucifixion again and again and again to say one thing and to say it clearly. You mess with us and this is what you get. You mess with the empire. You mess with the Roman authorities. You try and muck about with us and think that you're on a par with us or that you can rebel against us and we will crush you and we will make a public spectacle of you by crucifixion. It was the equivalent, perhaps, of an IS jihadi video of a beheading on YouTube. And the details weren't pretty. Scourge with a cat of 9 tails a whip-inset with lead and glass, the soldiers commissioned to do the scourging, being so accomplished at their task that they could whip you literally within an inch of your life. That's where the phrase came from. They could take the flesh off your back, they could take the organs, some of them, from inside your back. But they had to keep you alive, because if you died during the whipping, then the soldiers themselves who had whipped you, they would take your place and be crucified instead of you. So these guys were experts at whipping. These guys were experts in cruelty. And then having been whipped and beaten, he was then forced to carry the patibulum, the crossbeam, under armed guard. The victim's forearms, when they reached the place where they were going to be executed, be nailed to the patibulum. Nails would be hammered between the radius and the ulna, not through the hands, but through the wrists. The victim would then be stripped naked and lifted up and forced to bear their weight on the nails. The heart and the lungs would be put under enormous strain as they tried to lift themselves up. And crucifixion normally lasted for days. That was the whole point of it. You were publicly shamed. You were publicly placarded in front of people. So that as people went about their daily business, they saw you on the cross. And again and again and again, the message came across very clearly. You mess with us, this is what you get. You mess with us, this is what you get. And most crucifixions lasted for days. Because it was a public demonstration of the Romans' power, and it was a public humiliation for the person who was being crucified. If it went on for too long, then the soldiers would perform what was called curifragium. They would come, as they tried to do in the case of Jesus, and break the prisoner's legs. The heart would literally burst and the person would die. It was so barbaric and cruel a form of death that the Romans themselves abolished it in AD 315. Jesus' death by crucifixion standards between two convicted criminals was relatively quick, just six hours rather than days. Why was it quick? Because it was finished. It didn't need to be any longer. It had served its purpose. The price had been paid And then those words, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, hammered over Jesus on a sign, on a notice. Written in Aramaic, the local language of religion. Written in Latin, the language of government, law, and authority. Written in Greek, the language of culture and poetry. And there's Jesus dying the death of a common criminal that proved certainly to Jewish eyes at least that he was cursed by God because people who were cursed by God died on a tree. That's what it said in their word. That's what it said in Deuteronomy. Cursed is the person who dies on a tree. So for Jesus to die on a tree meant that he was cursed by God. It was logical. And Jesus experiences suffering. Suffering. Physically, emotionally, psychologically, but most crucially, spiritually. As he encounters something that you and I were born with. Jesus on the cross encounters something that you and I are familiar with. Separation from God. He'd never known it in the whole of his life and in the whole of eternity. And yet in those final three hours on the cross, the Father and the Son were separated And Jesus knew isolation, Jesus knew desolation, Jesus knew rejection, Jesus knew loneliness, Jesus knew pain, Jesus knew suffering in a way that he'd never experienced before. And it forced him to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the time that I needed you most, you're just not there. You're just not there. And it's completed. It's finished. And it finishes his obedience to the will of the Father. And it completes his revelation of the Father's heart. It's finished, but it's not the end. It's finished, but it's not the end. Because just a few hours later, on that first Easter morning, Jesus was raised again the life began again. As one writer puts it this way, the resurrection did not reverse the crucifixion. The resurrection vindicates the crucifixion. It verifies and confirms the cross. And because it's finished, everything can now begin again. Everything can now begin again. Creation itself can be restored and redeemed. Human beings can be brought back into relationship with God. Human beings can be brought back into relationship with each other. Human beings can be brought back into relationship even with themselves because it's finished. And because it's finished, everything can begin again. Death has been defeated and it makes all the difference in life, and it makes all the difference in death. We prayed earlier on for uh, our brothers and sisters in the churches in Sri Lanka that have been affected by uh, the bombs and the suicide attacks that took place uh, on Easter Day in Sri Lanka. There's a remarkable post by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, who tells this, the, the story this morning of a phone call that he had with the Bishop of Colombo. Most of the churches that were targeted in uh, Sri Lanka were Roman Catholic churches. And Justin Welby reached out to the Roman Catholic Bishop of Colombo this morning and just to reassure uh, the, the Christians in Sri Lanka that they weren't forgotten, that other people were praying for them. And the Roman Catholic bishop told him this story. Well, what happened? He just related what happened. What happened was that actually the bishop was just getting to the point in the communion service where he was about to pray over the bread and the wine. And it was at that moment that the police came up to the Bishop of Colombo and said, Bishop, we've got to get you out of here because they're coming in half an hour to kill you. And do you know what the Bishop of Colombo said? He said, if I die, it's as God determines. If I live, it's as God determines. And he said, thank you to the police. And he finished his prayer. You see, if you believe in the resurrection as a reality, if you believe that on that first Easter day, Jesus really was raised again from the dead, and because he was raised again from the dead, then everything changes, and that we ourselves can be raised from the dead, that there is life even through death, then it changes the way in which you look, not only at life, but it also changes above all how you view death. And the bishop stood there and finished the prayer over the bread and the wine, served the bread and the wine to the congregation, and then he left. Because he knows the reality of the resurrection and the difference it makes to life and the difference it makes to death. If God determines I will live, I will live. If God determines I will die, I will die. And he carried on his prayer. I want to finish with a poem by Gerard Kelly. It's entitled, Because He is Risen. Because he is risen, spring is possible in all the cold, hard places. Gripped by winter, And freedom jumps the queue to take fear's place as our focus, because he is risen. Because he is risen, my future is an epic novel where once it was a mere short story. My contract on life is renewed in perpetuity. My options are open-ended. My travel plans are cosmic, because he is risen. Because he is risen, healing is on order and assured, and every disability will bow before the endless dance of his ability, and my grave too will open when my life is restored, for this frail and fragile body will not be the final word on my condition. Because he is risen. Because he is risen, hunger will go begging in the streets for want of a home and selfishness will have a shortened shelf life, and we will throng to the funeral of famine and dance on the callous grave of war. And poverty will be history in our history because he is risen. And because he is risen. A fire burns in my bones, and my eyes see possibilities, and my heart hears hope like a whisper on the wind, and the song that rises in me will not be silenced as life disrupts this shadow place of death like a butterfly under the skin, and death itself runs, terrified to hide, because he is risen.